Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Stand with me as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. We're practically looking at the whole frame of Genesis 49, 29 down to the last verse of chapter 50. But allow me to just read verses 15 down to verse 21 of chapter 50. The reading of his word. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and asked, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed day. And once more, we ask for your illumination. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your enlightenment as we come before your word. Your word that sanctify our hearts and change our lives. Please we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Endurance. That's the name of my deodorant endurance endurance as a concept as a concept is something to which a lot of us pay no mind anymore today i mean we don't value endurance anymore a little problem here a little dissatisfaction there a little discontentment in our work. Many of us would leave our work. That's just the reality of today. Not to hit on the millennials, but they said, that's what's happening with the millennials. Don't worry, I'm also a millennial. <laughs> and funny because, again, for the slightest of reasons, convenience, 
pay, opportunity, among others. And yet, if we talk with our parents, uh, they value different things. They value trust. They value gratitude. They value loyalty. They value endurance. And that is why many of them, their first job was their last job until they retired. The seldom that we can find of it today. I believe that if we go to the bottom line of this, it is that it is what we believe as more valuable. It is what we believe is more valuable as the reason why we endure in work or we leave the work. If you're thinking about it, it is always about what we believe. And while this is already unfortunate when it comes to work, it is already unfortunate. And by the way, even pastors, the turnover of pastors is very fast. They said that the average years for pastors, average years for pastors is five years. Five years. And so while this is already unfortunate, this is lamentable when it comes to our faith. A faith is not something, if you look at the scripture, we've been talking about perseverance of the saints. Faith is not something you give up along the way. And the Bible has a very clear warning if we give up our faith, because it does not mean you are a believer. At the end of the day, if you don't endure to the end, we know that the scripture is not apologetic. It is very clear in its teaching. 1 John 2, 19, you, they left because in the first place, they are not part of us. That's how important it is to endure in the face. Now, when we talk about faith, Thomas Aquinas, we've been talking about Thomas Aquinas earlier, the Catholic theologians. He believed that faith comes before reason. Faith comes before reason, which Luther and Calvin strongly disagrees. And I believe even the scripture strongly disagrees with that, because if you look at scripture, Faith arises from the truth. It's not the other way around. But you see, the connection between the two is that when we talk about faith, we first ask the question, what do you believe? Before we ask the question, how much do you believe? Are you still following? Now, I'm, I'm just trying to establish the fact that our understanding and our endurance in the faith has a connection. It has a relationship. And particularly today, as we look at the logic of God's love, which I see from the text that we've read, the logic of God's love, meaning to say, one man, the good one, suffered for the bad ones. The logic, understanding that one, will cause us to endure in our face. That's the connection. That's why our title for today is this. Understanding the logic of God's love and our enduring faith. And our enduring faith. This is the last sermon. Praise God for that. I'm not saying praise God, finally I'm done with Genesis. But praise God for sustaining us 
for almost two years in the book of Genesis. And this is the last sermon that we would have in the book of Genesis. Next week, we will start Reformed Theology, a God-centered theology. And we will have a series on that because we want to establish the basic belief that we stand on. So this is the last sermon. So allow me again to just give us a very... an overview of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is not complex. It is about a promise. And the promise started in Genesis 3.15 when God told Adam that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And we are all waiting for that seed of the woman to come who would crush the head of the serpent. And it was the reason why God did not wipe out or God said, I will no longer wipe out Man, like I did with the flood, because until the Redeemer comes and until everyone whom God chosen will come to know the Redeemer. And then we come to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, which is really connected to Genesis 3.15. We understand in the Abrahamic covenant, just a nutshell, and of course there are a lot of details there, but a nutshell, it is about one man. It will be through a one man that a nation will form. Abraham, and then the offspring of Abraham, the specific offspring of Abraham, a nation will be formed composed of people from nations, which we better know today as the church. And last week, we began to see how God blesses these people to form a nation. So it is fitting for the book of Genesis to end with a teaching on faith. Would we believe on the promise? Are we going to continue to believe in the promise? And that's true with Jacob and Joseph. They will die. We will see their deaths here. But will they continue to hold on to the promise, though they did not see the fullness of its fulfillment? I will circle around this idea today. So if you miss out a lot of what I will say, don't miss this one out. Understanding that God even sacrificed his son for our salvation. That God even sacrificed his son for our salvation will keep our faith to the end. So let's dissect that into two. We will have the first point, God sacrificed the good one for the preservation of the bad ones. And the second one, we look at the Connection between love of God, understanding of the love of God, and faith. God sacrificed the good one for the preservation of the bad ones. That's the logic of God's love. Now, I believe that if you look at this one, the last section of the book of Genesis, the one that we read earlier, 15 to 21, is sandwiched with two deaths. If you notice, the death of Jacob and then the death of Joseph. Inserted in between, and, and the, death of Jake, the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph both expressed faith. Both of them said, bring me back to the promised land. That's actually an expression of faith. So even to their death, they hold on to their faith. They did not give up their faith. And scholars believe that inserted in between 
in the middle is the explanation why they hold on to the faith. Or in general, generally, why we should hold on to the, to the faith. And this is about the providential love of God, where Joseph was, quote-unquote, sacrificed for the salvation of many. Think about that. The book of Genesis is about a promise. And when God brings Joseph, being betrayed by his brothers, down to Egypt, it was not disconnected to the promise. God is saying, I will perform the promise. I will do the promise at the expense of Joseph, if you may. At the expense of Joseph. Because if God did not send Joseph, forget about the promise. The whole family will die. And if the family will die, so does the promise. So does the promise. Because the Messiah will be coming from the line of Abraham. We learned last week from the line of Judah. So if the whole family dies, the promise dies. And if you look at it in that picture, then God is saying, even if I have to sacrifice one for the fulfillment of the promise, one will be sacrificed. It sounds familiar, isn't it? A story of the difference between, this is a story of the difference. Let's look at verse 15 to 21. Between the understanding of Joseph and his brothers pertaining to the goodness of Joseph to his brothers. The question might, this question might help us. Why did Joseph show goodness to his brothers? Now, Joseph and his brothers have a different take on that. They have a different take. Now, before I'll go to 15 to 21, there are things worth mentioning, by the way. Notice carefully that this story is almost the same as Genesis 45, 1 to 15. If you remember, when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, almost the same. Certainly the same point. The brothers were dismayed then because they thought they they never expected that the, the brother that they sold was the brother who's now reigning in Egypt, was, was the one reigning in Egypt. And they were dismayed according to verse 3. And then Joseph gave them an assurance that, no, believe me, I don't have any grudge on you because I fully understand. I fully understand why I am, am I in Egypt. It was not you who brought me to Egypt. It was God who brought me to Egypt. And today I will emphasize on the logic of God's love. And the story in Genesis 45 ended with Joseph being reconciled with his brothers, which we also find in Genesis 50-21. It's almost like the same story. And right now we already know that Moses is fond of doing that, right? He repeats stories, he repeats points so that we can really get his point. Did Joseph really understand the providence of God when he said that one in chapter 45? Did he really mean it? 
that he did not have any grudge towards his brother because he fully understand the providence of God, understood the providence of God. That Joseph's brother understood what Joseph told them. That they believe in that. We find here in verses 15 to 20. So let me quickly read again Genesis 50, 15 to 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent him a message. Look at that. They sent him a message. They were not the one who went to Joseph. They sent Joseph a message saying, Your father gave this command before he died. They put words in the mouth of the dead father. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your servants. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. This is very sad. The burial of, of Jacob bring, brought back to the to Canaan. The message is of that foreshadows Exodus. That you are now in Egypt, but just as I am brought back to Canaan, you will also be brought back to Canaan. Supposedly, the death of and burial of their father supposed to be was a reason for rejoicing because it will give them hope. Egypt will not be our home. God will continue to fulfill the promise that he gave our father Abraham. However, it was a reason for fear. Joseph's brothers that all thought that all the goodness of Joseph to them was because of whom? was because of Jacob. Verse 15 says, they saw that their father was dead. Verse 16, we read that they sent a messenger to tell Joseph that their father gave this command. In In verse 16, they appealed that Joseph will forgive them as the servants of the God, your father. The repetition of the word father there clearly tells us that the brothers of Joseph, in their thinking, Joseph was only good to them because of their father. But now that their father is dead, Joseph might turn to them and hate them and pay back, pay them back for everything that they did to Joseph. And this is not your ordinary fear. They were dismayed. See, they, they sent messengers. Maybe they're thinking, if we're the one who will go there, there's no time to run. If our brother is really angry at us, there's no time to escape. So let's send a messenger so we would know if he really hated us. And so we have a time to escape. They were fearful of Joseph. And only when Joseph wept, maybe the servant said, when we said you, your, um, the words that you want us to tell him, he wept. And we do not know why he wept. Uh, we wept. And maybe they're thinking, I remember when the first time our brother Joseph revealed himself to us, he wept. Or well, maybe this time he would also show us grace. And that's the only time 
they went to Joseph. And so if they think that Joseph only showed them goodness because of their father, and that's the reason why they said, our father commanded, our father commanded that you will forgive us. So they either did not understand Joseph in Genesis 45, or they simply have a shallow understanding of it. Again, remember Joseph told them that the reason I'm here is because of the providence of God. The message clearly did not sink in the hearts of the brothers. See, just a little bit of a sidebar. The providence of God is a totally different way of looking at life than just seeing life as a consequence of everything we have done, isn't it? As as Christians, life is not just simply a consequence of everything we have done. God in His goodness and grace can work out the good in everything. So we cannot continue, church, we cannot continue to have that kind of worldview. That life is nothing but a consequence of our own doing. We have to change the way we look at things. Many times we could not forgive people because we never learn to look at the good that God wants to accomplish in our lives, even through the bad thing that was done to us. We only focus many times on how people hurt us. We have to go beyond that. So while the brothers did not deeply, at least I would say clearly, they did not deeply understand the providence of God, Joseph did. Joseph did. This is not supposed to be a question anymore for how can you think about that? How can you forgive your brothers who attempted to kill you and eventually sold you to the merchants if only they can rid, get rid of you if Joseph did not understand the providence of God? He had a deep understanding of the providence of God. We are told at the end of verse 17, again, that upon hearing these words from his brothers, Joseph wept. Why did he weep? Was Joseph insulted that his brothers doubted his goodness to them? Sakit yun ha, insulto yun. Pinaaral kita, tapos biglang magdududa ka na I'm sincerely thinking of your good? Did Joseph find it lamentable that his brothers, after he thought that they have finally grown, remember Joseph revealed himself after Judah said, my life for Simeon's life. And Joseph was persuaded that my brothers have grown already. Did Joseph find it lamentable that his brothers really did not believe that he has forgiven them? Did Joseph weep because his brothers still have a shallow understanding of the purposes of God? The text did not tell us, and I love it. This is the beauty of Scripture. This is what we call this ambiguity of the Scripture, which means we are given a room by which we can look at it and realize all of this are true. Isn't it lamentable, again, when you see that your brother do not really understand what forgiveness is in the gospel of Christ? 
so that even though you already forgave them, they could not believe that you have forgiven them because they have a shallow understanding of God's forgiveness. You see, church, just a little of a sidebar again as we build up our message. I just don't want us to miss a grain of truth that could bless our hearts. The depth of our love for one another is a result of the depth of our understanding of the gospel of Christ. If we have a shallow love towards one another, the most painful thing about it is that we have a shallow understanding of the love of God. If we can only love those like us, but not those that will irritate us. If we only love those, if we only like those who have the same IQ with us, but not those people that we have to explain ourselves over and over again before they will get, we have a shallow understanding of God's love. Joseph, though, again, who had a deep understanding of the providential love of God, stood by his words in, in Genesis 5, 45, 4-8. Maybe there is a need, just very quickly, to remind us of what Genesis 45, verses 4-8. to Let me quickly read this. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And look at what Joseph said in verse 8. If there is one truth that Joseph is here, this is it. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Seventeen years have passed. Seventeen years have passed. When his brothers thought that he might harm them again, now that their father is dead, Joseph said to them in Genesis 15, 19-20, and look at the similarity of what he said. In chapter 45. That was 17 years before. Remember Joseph lived. Sorry. Jacob lived another 17 years. Before he died. In Egypt. Verse 19. Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you. You meant it. You meant evil against me. That's just what. Joseph added here, he did not say that one, chapter 45, he, did, he just said, you did not bring me here, it was God who brought me here. But they're stubborn, so it's okay. You meant, this time it's a kind of rebuke. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. main thing remains the same, isn't it? Same understanding, 17 years ago. He had a clear understanding of the sovereignty and the providence of God. His purpose, in his purpose of saving people, 
and his powerful control of everything. God even allowed the momentary evil done to Joseph to accomplish the greater good. He allowed the momentary evil done to Joseph to accomplish the greater good. The exhibit, yung display, yung pagpapakita of God's sovereignty and providence was how the evil that the brothers of Joseph willfully did. So let's take note of that. They willfully did the evil resulted to God's willful. There's not a contradiction there. God's willful accomplishing of his good plan of saving many. Again, the word meant, even in the Hebrew, it is not just one, but then applied to the next, because logically speaking, that's the thought. No, the, the word meant is said twice. Applied to the brothers, and then applied to God. It is an active word. The beauty of God's sovereignty and providence is that he actively accomplished his salvation even through the active evil of sinners. If you want me to explain in between, I could not. And the Bible did not give me the license to do so. But all I know is that while they exercised the evil, the end was not the evil that they intended because they did not get rid of Joseph. Joseph was in front of them again. It was the good that God intended. In that sense, the good that God intended overruled the evil that the brothers intended. This is a beautiful thing. God... Never at one point that God is at the mercy of anyone's hands. God allowed the Pharisees. He allowed the Pharisees to succeed in their plans. If you're reading the gospel and you are so used with movies today where the protagonist, yung Bida, would always become the winner at the end. And you will think, Lord, why are you allowing this? The people to demand the crucifixion of Jesus after they eat pan de manila from Jesus. The Pilate washed his hands and the soldiers to crucify Jesus. God allowed them all because their evils only paved the way for the provision of salvation. Many are struggling in the fact, why did God allow evil to come in the world in the first place? But we have to understand that God, in revealing himself, it's not about you. It's not about any of us. We are guilty. Adam was guilty. He made the decision. We all make the decision to sin against God. Let's not point finger to God. We all did. Adam did. But God, but for God, it is not about you. It is about His glory. It is about the display of who He is. And the greater display of who He is is not the creation, six-day creation in the garden. That was not the greater 
display of His glory. The greater display of His glory is in the redemption that He accomplished through Jesus Christ where we see that justice, righteousness, wrath, and righteousness can be can be working together with grace, love, mercy, goodness of God to sinners because when Jesus hung on the cross, the fullness of His glory was in full display. If things did not happen randomly, but out of God's sovereign control, to bring about the good that He planned for His people, we understand then that He sacrificed the good or the innocent, in this case Joseph, to save the very people who did what was evil to Him. Joseph clearly understood this when he said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And Moses used this twice, Genesis 45 and Genesis 50. And Moses has a way of saying, if repeated twice, like the dream, it is fixed. That God allowed the good to suffer from the hands of evil to bring about salvation is fixed. It is fixed. It cannot change. That is the plan from the very beginning. This is the truth that we can draw from this. If in the covenant of Abraham, we basically understood that one, through one man, a nation will be formed. Here we understand that it is through the suffering of this one man that the nations will be saved. This, is a th this theme of suffering kept on coming throughout all scripture, isn't it? This theme of substitute. This theme of sacrifice. The scripture, if you open it, especially in the book of Leviticus, it smells blood all around. And it never stopped to smell blood until Calvary came. Isaiah 53, verse 10, already said this, beautifully said this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Some would not want to accept that. That's in the scripture. It was the will of the Father to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Father has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, and look at this, the result, he shall see his offspring. Paul somewhat echoed this in his beautiful Few words, expression of what the gospel is in Second Corinthians five twenty one, when he said, "I want to read it in the NIV." God made him one who had no sin to be sin for us many, so that in the one in him we who are many might become the righteousness of God. Jesus in John chapter twelve verse twenty three to twenty four he said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, a grain of wheat falls on the ground into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It is no wonder that when Jesus came, he had a clear understanding of what he was set to do. 
when he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is unquestionable. This is the heart of the scripture. The innocent will die, but many sinners will be saved. In fact, look at the beauty of this story in Genesis 15. Joseph's brothers were like prodigal sons. And like the prodigal, they would say, we will go to Joseph. They practiced this. They said, behold, we are your servants. Thus, reflecting the love of God, Joseph said in verse 21, I'm not accepting you as servants. He said, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It will be through the sacrifice, the humiliation, the death of the son. The father, when he saw the son coming in the, pro- in the story of the prodigal son, he ran, although culturally, the, uh, a patriarch should not supposed to run. One, well today, like, Everyone are wearing short shorts, and that's fine. And funny, because even men in, in the mall, they're also wearing short shorts. Like, If the women are saying, why can't we do what the women are doing, or what the men are doing? The men are also saying right now, why can't I do what the women are doing? Have you seen that? Like wearing... Girls are no longer the only ones who are wearing short shorts. <laughs> only Also men, like... What are you wearing? It's just too short. Why am I there? Um, <laughs> if today it's fine, in their time, it is a taboo. Even for the patriarch to show his lower legs, it's a taboo. It's a no-no. You will trend, you'll be trending in Yahoo. It's a scandal. But the father seeing the silhouette, of his son, and he knew exactly it is a son. Maybe the heartbeat tells him that the son is coming. Run. And everyone are saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? They were talking about the father. The father was shamed so that he will shield the son from the shame of the villagers. Luke 15, 21 to 24. I think I've made my case. This is clearly telling us God sacrificed the good one for the preservation of the bad ones. This kind of love not only preserves the family of Jacob, but assures that God will surely fulfill his promise and will bring them back to the promised land. That is why this is in the middle of the story. In Moses' theology, where do you hold on? Where do you hold on to be assured? That all the promises of God, the redemptive plan of God, will be fulfilled. Where do you hold on? And he's telling us, hold on to the cross. Hold on to the fact that God allowed evil for the good. Isn't that true? Where do you get assurance today? That Jesus will return one day and perfect everything. We can only look at the cross of Calvary. Jacob and Joseph both lived a full, full life. This is emphasized especially with Joseph's age. We are told that he lived for 110 years in verse 22. 
Then verse 23, we are told that he saw third generations down the line. It is is living a full life, which means he was experiencing the blessing of God. But in being buried, Jacob, do you know that the burial of Jacob here is a burial of a king? 40 days involved. That's expensive at the time. Only kings will be embalmed for 40 days. All the dignitaries of Israel went to the burial. And he was accorded seven days of weeping, which is given to to a king of Egypt when they died. This is a, a burial of a king. And this burial of a king foreshadows or pinapakita na po nito. Not only that Israel will get out of Egypt, the book of Exodus, but the true son of Jacob will become a king. The true son of Jacob will become a king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Another thing, when Israel went out of Egypt, there were two coffins. Do you know that? The word coffin has the same word as the ark. So there were two boxes. One box is Jacob's bone, I sorry, Joseph's bones, and the other box is the ark of the covenant containing in it the loss of God. And Bruce Wilkie is very Insightful on this. This is what he wrote. How doth the ark of the dead come next to the ark of the ever-living God? The answer was, the dead enshrined or the dead inside in the one coffin fulfilled the covenants of the enshrined, sorry for that, in the other coffin. A coffin. And they said, the point is this, it is by the death of one that the laws of God or the commandments of God will be fulfilled. All of this then assures, all of this then assures the burial, everything that is happening here, assures us that God will fulfill his promises. Indeed, when the Son of God or when the son of Jacob, the king of Judah, died, he fulfilled the law of God. So the kind of love that God foreshadowed in sacrificing Joseph for the preservation of many, foreshadowed the sacrifice of Christ for the salvation of many, is the greatest assurance that God will fulfill his promise. It is the greatest assurance. It's not because I did not sin yesterday. It's not because I'm so okay right now. I worship God with all my heart. You cannot put your trust on that feeling or that experience. It's not because we've read the scripture over and over again. And it's not because the, the my pastor said I'm a I'm a true Christian and I was accepted to the membership. Now the only place to look at 
if we are to be assured that God will fulfill His promise, is the cross of Calvary. We need to understand the logic of God's love if we are to be confident of God's promise instead of living in fear because of our situations in life. This is what happened to the brothers of Joseph because they did not understand the love of God. When their father died, they lived in fear. How many of us, because we do not understand fully and deeply the love of God, a little thing that happens in our lives, we felt like the world will crush. This brings me to my second point. I fear that I would preempt my second point. Here's the second point today. Understanding the counterintuitive logic of God's love. Was there is there S there? Is it right? Loves I'm sorry. <laughs> Keeps our faith. Keeps our faith to the end. So because Joseph understood the logic of God's love, he was able to show consistent love towards his brothers before and after his father died, even if his brothers doubted his goodness. There's one thing I want to point out, one more thing I want to point out in the words of Joseph that will become our jumping board towards these two deaths. Listen to the question of Joseph in verse 19. He said, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Look at the logic of Joseph there. If God was thinking of your good by bringing me to, to Egypt, would I now think evil against you? The point is that jo Joseph refused to be God. Refused to be acting like God no more. He submitted to the truth of why God allowed the evil that his brothers did to him. Namely, their good. Therefore, understanding the logic of God's love. One should die so that others would live. Made Joseph love his brothers despite of them. Which is, by the way, an expression of faith. This brings us to the book ends of the story which Moses seemed to communicate that if we understand the logic of God's love, we will not only be consistent in the display of our faith, we will hold on to our faith till we die. We will hold on to our faith till we die. The request of being buried in the promised land is a display of their faith that God will fulfill His promises. The field of Machpelah, you remember that? That. Abraham died with only the field at Machpelah or the cave at Machpelah to be exact as his legal position. Remember when Ephron said, no, you can have that Abraham. You know, you, you look like a god to us. Why do you have to pay? But Abraham insisted, no, I'm going to pay. And he paid it for a premium price of, I think, 400 shekels. And it is for the reason that in Abraham's thinking, that serves as a down payment. If I'll get this, and legally this is mine, I could die in my sleep because I understand that God made a down payment for the land. 
By the way, that's a that's what they call a sinecdoche, uh, which means a part represents the whole. The land here does not only represent the promised land, but the whole promise. The down payment is the cave at Makpila. Cemetery po yun. In his word, Jacob said in, in Genesis 49.31, look at that. There, cave at Makpila, they buried Abraham and Sarai's wife. There, cave at Makpila, they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there, I buried Leah. Rachel is not buried there. But who's his favorite wife? Rachel. He should have said, bury me where Rachel was buried. But he's saying, Rachel, I love so much. But I value the promises of God more than my wife. You can say that to your wife. That's fine. Okay lang yun, di ba? It is then very clear that he said, bury me there because he was expressing his face. Like Abraham and like Isaac, I will die now, but I continue to believe that that plan God gave it to us. And God will fulfill all his promises. What about Joseph? The death of Joseph is called the Janus. What is Janus today? Janus means it is a smooth transition towards the next episode. And this 22 to 26, 28, 26 is the smooth express transition towards the Exodus. Now why is it important? Because Joseph believed, I'll die to go back to the promised land. Look at what he said in verse 24 to 25. I am about to die, but God will, not might, God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 25. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. Again, Moses put the truth that God even allowed the evil to bring about salvation. To serve as a foundational assurance of the fulfillment of his promise. So that anyone who understands it, like Jacob and Joseph, anyone who understands it, will hold on to his faith until is death. Have you experienced some discouraging moments of your faith? This is a good dose. Again, understanding the the counterintuitive logic of God's love keeps our faith to the end. We see this over and over in Scripture. Look at how Paul thinks. The same way that Paul thinks. 
writing to the to the to the believers in Rome in Romans chapter 5 verse 6 to 11 look at the logic of what Paul's of how Paul argued here assuring the believers of Rome that their salvation will be completed verse 6 for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly while we were still weak for one scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one who would even dare to die. Paul is just polite. But Paul is really saying, I don't believe. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God sent his son to die for sinners. Look at then the logic that flows from it. If God allowed the good to die for you a sinner, would God ever give you up? Paul began to argue the implication in verse, in verse 9 saying, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. For Paul, if we understand the love of God, God will hold, on, God will hold us to the end so that we will hold on to our faith till the end, regardless of how you feel right now. Some of us, spiritually speaking, is as dead as the person in the coffin. No life at all. There are times in our Christian life like that, but if we really understand the, the gospel, it is not a reason to give up our faith. It is, this thinking is the reason why sometimes we are perplexed how a husband who sacrificed a lot for his wife and, and family suddenly left them. It's just, for us, it's, it's illogical. How can you do that? It doesn't seem to be logical. The logical thing is if you have done the big thing, you will do everything. That's what scripture says. God has done the biggest thing already. He will surely do everything. Paul said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Believers, the love of God assures that he will fulfill his entire promise. The love of God assures that he did not just justify you, he will also preserve you till the end. Here's one implication. We cannot claim then that we understand the love of God and not endure. We cannot claim that we understand the gospel and give up. Some of us think of quitting again for the slightest reasons. Nobody greeted me when I came to church. No one remembered me when I have sickness. Where is the church? 
No one texted me. I don't like this sister in the church. I will give up my faith. There's not much fruits in the ministry. I've been working in the ministry and I did not see a lot of results. Maybe this is not true. I do not see progress in my struggles. I have been struggling with pride. I have been struggling with, with pornography. I have been struggling with all these kinds of stuff up until today. I am mean, still struggling. Why did God give me this sickness? Why did God remove my work? We have all these questions, but those questions, if we understand the gospel of Christ, are not valid reason to give up the faith. Do you understand the gospel of Christ? Do you understand that God had to sacrifice the good so that the bad ones, the sinners, will be saved? Think about that. If God even gave His Son for your salvation, do you think that He would not perfect everything He promised to us? If we understand this, church, we endure even with life's difficulties. Instead of quitting when life is hard, get back to the gospel. Draw your assurance from the gospel and endure in the faith. When marriage gets hard, when ministry gets hard, when work gets hard, when health gets hard, when your own self is hard, when your parents keep you from your face, get back to the gospel. Draw your confidence from the finished work of Jesus Christ and continue in your faith journey. Because a true faith will last till our death. How about that? Even their death expressed their faith. So we could not endure the test of our faith if we do not understand the logic of the gospel. Do you understand that God loved you despite Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for our journey together in the book of Genesis, it was enriching. It prepares us. It made us understand why this world is what it is today. But more than that, it gives us an assurance. You will fulfill all your promises. Father, we thank you. May we endure to the end, every single one of us. Because you are a God who will not short-circuit us, but will give us everything you promised. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.